righty. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Banquet Hall podcast, the podcast where we tell tomorrow's stories today. My name is Kyler. I am your host, as usual. Uh, listeners, if this is your first time tuning in, make sure you follow Banquet Hall podcast on social media at Banquet Hall pod. And brand new that I get to say on the podcast for the first time. So, Tiana, you're kind of like my test subject. Not test subject. That can sound kind of weird, but... <laughs> you get to hear this for the first time, but the fourthkyler.com is officially a purchase domain. The Banco Hall podcast has its own page on there. So y'all can head over to the fourthkyler.com slash BHP to learn a little bit more about the podcast. Uh, but I'm joined by one of my great friends, the one, the only Tiana. Tiana, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty good. You know, I had a nap somewhere in the day. So, you know. <laughs> That's really, that's really the highlight. So any day I get a nap is a good day, I guess. Any day you get a nap is a good day. And I'm going to challenge myself to make this podcast the highlight of your day. That is my goal for the next whatever amount of time we're talking. Hopefully not like six hours of time. Like I don't want to take up that much of your time. <laughs> that would be a little awkward, but we... <laughs> you're going to need a long nap. I think you might have to call that one sleep. Yeah, listen. <laughs> a long one I, I mean they're all naps to me I feel like when you have when you wake up and you have things to do it was only a nap mm. hey I, I love it I'm with it shout <laughs> out to naps uh we were just talking about naps earlier today because I was reminding people that naps are a form of resistance sometimes and we gotta rest our bodies our minds our souls we was talking right before we recorded like it's always just a lot of shit going on in America and the world so if you got to take a few naps in a day, like we deserve that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but Tiana, the first question I always start my podcast with, or at least 99.9% .9 of the time, I think it's very important for our listeners to understand where people are from and some of their upbringing, just to paint the picture of like who we're talking with and what has shaped who they've become. So uh, Tiana, where are you from and how did that shape who you have become slash who you are becoming? Absolutely. Um, this is a great question. This has always been a tricky question for me. Um, so I am originally from Anchorage, Alaska. I was born there. My mother was born there. Um, all my family is still there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I lived there until I was nine. And then I moved to Las Vegas. Um, and so my those two cities have had a huge impact on me um, in ways that I think I'm still learning. Um, as a small child, I was, you know, outside. I was a nature girl. I was, you know, making the mud pies. I was playing kitchen in the front yard where you just like pull grass and flowers and smash it up and pretend like you're cooking <laughs> and, you know, climbing trees and, you know, almost getting lost in rivers, um, you know, down, down by our house, like kind of some really dangerous stuff, actually, when yeah. I think back, because I'm like, girl, what were you doing? Um, and then I had like really unique experiences, right? Like I used to live in this, um, in this apartment complex, and they would like plow the snow, and then, and the snow doesn't melt because it's below freezing no. or you know, it's really fucking cold so it's not melting <laughs> and like they would plow the snow and then snow would like pile on top of that mound of snow and so like 
in the winter in this um, apartment complex, there would be this like huge, what to me as a tiny, like little four-year-old child was a mountain. Okay. And all the like, <laughs> neighborhood kids would like climb up it. Right. And, um, and then there was like, they kind of like made a slide and so mm -hmm. we would climb up it and then slide down. Now I had a lot of trouble getting up there for the first time. <laughs> Um, and my older sister actually had to like help me and like the kids, they, you know, like, they're like, come on, you can do it. And I get up to the top and I immediately slide down and my sister was so mad. Um, but I was like, I just wanted to do the slide, you know? And so <laughs> experiences like that, where I was like, just outside, just really in the dirt, in, in the nature, in the, in the air, all of the things. Um, you know, I grew up seeing moose on my way to school or like on the playground um, <laughs> during recess, you know, the, <laughs> the people, what do they call them, the noon duties or whatever, whoever was like watching us during recess would like call us in. They're like, there's a moose on the campus or whatever. Anyways, and I grew up, you know, with a bunch of cousins, my little brother, grandparents, like so many people, so many people in my family. And then I moved to Las Vegas and it was me, my mom, my older sister, and it was hot. <laughs> and, I bet. I mean, when you move out of Alaska, isn't everywhere almost hot? You know, yeah, I, yes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's actually pretty warm down here in the lower 48. Um, but it was scorching it was scorching and dry and just like I was so my body was like not used to it and I think that I am you know like kind of like uncovering some of my like um what am I, what is the word I'm reaching for like some of my disabilities I think like became more noticeable when I moved to Las Vegas right like I have eczema you really do not thrive in a dry, hot environment when you have eczema, right? So, like, my relationship to my body, like, immediately changed. Um, my relationship to people immediately changed uh, because I, didn't, I was no longer around my family. I didn't really have friends. And then we moved a lot when I was in Vegas. We moved well over 14 times in, like, oh, wow. 10 years I feel like it was more than that um and I mean even in Alaska I moved a lot um but it was still always the same to me um because it was like I could still go to my grandma's house I could still go to my cousin's house I could still you know uh, whereas like when you move in a city where you don't know anybody it's just you're you're really starting from scratch each time um so I became very lonely very quickly um, and it was, it was, yeah, it was a really hard time in my life. And I knew, like, I was like, as soon as I can get out of here, I'm getting out of here. Um, I felt like everything that I wanted to do, every, um, like dream that I had was not attainable in Las Vegas. And I think a lot of that was just because I didn't have a family or community mm -hmm. my mom was a single mom and she had to work two jobs or she had to work graveyard um and then you know my little sister was born eventually um and I was basically helping raise my little sister 
Um, and so even when I was in high school and I was like, I want to go branch out and do sports and do this and do that. I was like, I had to take care of my sister. And so, mm. um, which would have been different if we were in Alaska, right? There would have been somebody else to watch her. There would have been somebody else to take care of her, not like kids taking care of kids. Right. And so those two, yeah, those experiences have had like a huge impact on me. And like, I think at 28 now I'm like, growing a new connection to land and, and um, I'm understanding my disabilities in a new way and I'm understanding um, like uh, an importance to like being around people and, and, and building really strong relationships and you know thinking about like chosen family and close friends and stuff like that um because even when I was in Alaska like yeah I was with my family all the time but I was also with my mom's best friends a lot you know and these were my aunts mm -hmm. and so I'm thinking about that too and like how people were taking care of my mom and taking care of me when you know we were both very young and um so yeah I think those are some of the ways I would say those are the major ways that mm -hmm. this have you know impacted me um yeah, no, thank you for sharing to that depth, too, because I think that that's why I asked this question, because there's just so much that can come out of, like, where you grew up, where you've moved to. And I think especially, like, when you're in college or growing up, so often it's just, oh, where are you from? And you just say it, and then it's just like, oh, okay, but not really going deeper into, like, what does that mean to be there? Because, like you so beautifully illustrated, like, moving from Alaska to Las Vegas, like, in my eyes, those are two extremes, obviously, as someone who's never been to Alaska, but it's like right. <laughs> a lot of what you just said, like, yeah, you, you were saying like, you know, and I was nodding, but I'm like, no, I don't know what it's like to have a moose on your Because it's just like, in my head, I'm like, yeah, there might be a stray dog on the playground in Gardena, but uh, just a moose, like, I just, I just don't know what I would do with that. Um one thing that I heard you say, though, is like there's this love for nature in your life and it's something we're going to get into a little bit later. But obviously, Las Vegas has not Las Vegas barely got like nature in some instances, depending on where you're at in Vegas. But like when you're coming for somewhere that has like such a naturey feel to it and there's nature all around you. What was that like, if you remember, like just going into us to Las Vegas and not seeing as many trees around, assuming you weren't in like Parson Nevada that had like more trees? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was weird. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> it was weird. And it was also like especially weird because um, so my older sister's dad um, was in the military. And so when I moved there, um, we had stayed with them for a little bit and we were staying on the military base. And so it was like, um, I don't know what your relationship is to like military bases if you've been there, but like, they're like little cities <laughs> inside, you know, like a lot of people don't always leave the base because they have everything that they need right yeah. there. And so it was strange because like as a kid, I'm in Las Vegas and I'm not like really leaving this very specific. I I'm I moved when I was going into the fourth grade. I had no business running around the streets of Las Vegas. You know, I I, I had no business at all. So <laughs> it was just, I was just like living on the housing, the housing part of it. And then 
taking the bus to school to like the main part, which is like, there was, it's not called Manch Manor at the time, but it was called Manch Manor, which is the housing part. And then Nellis, um, like the main part of Nellis um, Air Force Base is where like the schools were and stuff like that. And so it was strange cause like everybody's yards had rocks and like, dry grass (laughs) and um you know the all the trees like you know in the neighborhoods um a lot of the trees are you know they're they don't they're not just growing you know those are planted and stuff like that and so it was like such a stark contrast but to be honest I don't think it was like as um like conscious in my mind because because of the heat, you don't spend time outside. Yeah, that's Um, true. I was, I don't remember playing outside. Like when I was on base, we had a youth center, which would be the equivalent to like Hawaii or uh, like a boys and girls club or whatever. You know, after school, everybody goes there and does, you know, we got a basketball court, we got a dance machine, which is where I spent a lot of my fourth grade year actually. Um, And so, there was no like playing outside. And even when I got into like middle school and high school, we would play or like we would go outside, but like we would hang out under an awning at a park, you know? Um, And that was very strange to me. And I think, um, I think it also challenges me to um, understand nature in a fuller extent of like nature isn't just trees and you know it's not just like plush grass and like these beautiful um scenes that you know pop up on like you know when you're when your computer screen times out and like all those like little beautiful <laughs> pictures come up you know it's right. not it's not just that i mean the 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 nature of the desert is wild (laughs) it's so wild you know my introduction to scorpions my introduction to dead spiders um you know seeing a black widow for the first time was a terrifying experience seeing a brown recluse you know and um and and thinking of these things as like a child I mean I see your brown recluse now and it's (laughs) bags are packed I gotta go right time to move out (laughs) as a child like that was so like that really blew my mind because I'm like, well, if it bites me, then there goes my leg, you know? Like, I'm literally, like, I'm like, how are people living here, you know? Um, This is my introduction to roaches Um, because, like, the thing about Alaska is it's, we have animals. We don't really have bugs. We have, like, flies, mosquitoes, but, like, things don't really thrive there like that. But things thrive in the heat. And one of those things or one of those groups is roaches. And so it was like, I'm seeing like nature in a whole different way. Um, I remember I was in um, AP Calculus my senior year. Please don't ask me why I was in that class. I shouldn't have been there. Um, But (laughs) um, we had calculus camp. And so- You went to calculus camp? Please. Please, please. You said don't ask why you was in AP Calc. You didn't say don't ask why you was at Calculus Camp. <laughs> so it's basically a field trip where we go camping as a class for a weekend 
and we pr do practice cal uh, AP calc tests, but then we're just like camping. And so it was like, okay, cool. I want to go camping. And we went camping and we're in these like in the beautiful red rocks, you know? And I think I was like, again, not consciously then, because what 18 year old Tiana didn't care about. I'm like, I just want to hang out with my friends and make s'mores, you know? But I'm like reflecting back and I'm like, you know, these beautiful rocks and like the hiking we did and, you know, all of that. And it's just like thinking about how um, the desert still holds so much life um, and still like things still grow in the desert, mm -hmm. you know? Plants still grow in the desert. Animals still grow in the desert. Bugs, bugs grow in the desert, okay? <laughs> they are there. Um, and it's just like, I think when I reflect on my time in Vegas, it really forces me to think about nature in a more um, like all encompassing way. Um, now, it's not the nature I like and prefer. I do love a good tree. Um, and I do have like a tree obsession. And I think, um, for me the the nature and the connection to land that i want to have and the way that i want to like tend to land is not in the desert um because it it doesn't serve me um but there are plenty of people that i know that are like i love the desert and this is where i belong and you know kudos to them let's be in our respective places yeah, I'm definitely not one of those people. I need to stay as far away from, especially Vegas heat desert. Nah, because when it's July and it's just 117 for no reason, and you just die when you step foot outside, like I'm, I'm cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, like 110 being a normal temperature outside still really blows my mind. It still feels ungodly. Um, and I don't ever want to be a part of that. No, unsubscribe. <laughs> Listen, the, look, the 93 that be out here in LA is enough. <laughs> <Is> enough. <laughs> yeah. Right before we started recording, we were just talking about how it's like in the eighties and we hot, we both got our fans on like, I'm, I'm, the heat's definitely not for me, but uh, yeah, I just appreciate just how intentionally you talk about how you've experienced things, how you reflect back on things you've experienced. Uh, one of the reasons why whenever I have a friend who's a poet, I always look forward to talking to y'all because it's like, you you ain't just gonna get like, oh yeah, some trees outside. It's like, nah, like, let me describe in granular detail, like the specific <laughs> shade of green of the trees and which direction the wind was blowing, like what was on the ground. Like, I just, I just love how we talk about things as artists as poets because sometimes I talk to somebody and I ask them to describe something they describe it on such like level 0 0.5 I'm like come on let's let's get to the depth like that tree wasn't just green like what what color was it really <laughs> right 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 and also like you know your this question is like what poet hasn't written about or pondered for years and years about where they grew up and about nature you know like come on now, this like poetry 101 is like write about your relationship to home. Here yeah, that's, <laughs> that's definitely a layup. I was looking back, I was at an open mic and I was looking back at old poems to see what I wanted to perform because I wanted to perform something old. And I came across a poem that I wrote when I 
graduated from UCSD and was preparing to like start working full time for UCSD and it was a goodbye letter to Los Angeles I was like come on Kyler like really you wrote a goodbye letter to LA then I read it I was like dang like I really gave intentional thoughts of what is what does it mean to leave this place that I thought I was just going to come back to after four years going to UCSD and then come back and I'm like yeah like this is a poem like that's just how it is but we're going to get to the poetry in just a bit I uh, want to make sure we give our listeners the the fun stories. So wanted to put you on the spot and ask you, do you remember how we crossed paths? I'm curious what story comes to mind when you think about when we crossed paths. Okay. If I remember correctly, um, it would have been um, the ABC conference, Irvine, um, and I think we met in the hallway yep. of the host hotel. Yep. Um, and we were we playing some game? Yep. I don't remember the game. I don't remember the game, but I, <laughs> I remember that. I do remember that. Um, that's how we crossed paths. Um, and then we met again. It wasn't. Did we meet before this again before the student of color conference? No, I think the student of color conference is the second time I ever saw you. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, so ABC, which was a hilarious time, the student color conference, which was a ridiculous time. <laughs> I, I I don't remember what was happening at that conference, and I think that's like because my mind is like just delete whatever. Yeah. Was it was a wild time um and then and then you know our very good friend Lisa funny enough knew both of us and so continued to hang out with both of us at the same time and we're like oh you're great let's be friends so now we're here now we are here good job remembering sometimes I ask people when they don't remember the same thing I remember so definitely on the same page uh, ABC conference at Hotel Irvine. We was it. It was like some UCSD people. We were just bored in the hotel, and Andre had this book of questions that we got from like Urban Outfitters, and it was just like four of us just sitting in the hallway asking each other these random questions. And then you and some other people, I think from Santa Cruz, came by and were like, "Hey, can we join y'all?" We're like, yeah. And then that's how we became friends. But who would have thought that that would last outside of that hallway? And we did. We made it happen. <laughs> we did we did and you know what congrats to us there's actually a lot of people from like college that I just don't talk to or like am not an active friendship so I'm like really glad that we were able to stay strong definitely agree um I do want to give a little bit more detail to the meeting at students of color conference though just to (laughs) see like if you remember this and apologies if this brings up like dark times in University of California existence but the reason that I we interacted I was hanging out with Lisa and then I think it was either before or after the like black caucus and you came and was talking about how somebody didn't think you were black mm-hmm. I do remember and, that and I just remember I think you I, this is me like just meeting you again for the second time you're like you're like yeah you're you're black like I didn't like listeners, if y'all are watching the video, like she's obviously black. Like black, if y'all really know Tito, she black as hell. So <laughs> that anyone would have the audacity to like question something like that, I was like, ah, this conference, like you said, is going to be ridiculous. 
yeah the conference was it was really weird I remember like there were a lot of things right and like yeah I remember having that conversation and can also like acknowledge that like I'm a very light-skinned person and like um read as ambiguous to some people and so like I think at that time like still grappling with that but also remembering the way that the person approached me was like what is happening here like this is not even like felt like they were really trying to be vindictive um but then also that conference was like I remember being in um in spaces where people were just making a lot of space for whiteness and being like we need white allyship and we need to not offend white people and we need to not be racist to white people. And I'm like, what is happening? What's going on? What are we, what, <laughs> what it just felt like it was, it was weird. And I never went to that conference again. Um, yeah, that was, that was a wrap on that. And I know exactly who you're talking about who made those statements because she was part of our delegation. Yeah. Yeah. But I think like, I mean, yes. And also I'm like, it was more than one person. And it just somebody did a colorblindness poem during the lunch. Like a black person gave like a poem about being colorblind. They were like, oh, like, I don't care if you brown, black, white, or purple, like I don't see race. And we're like, dang, like at the students of color conference. <laughs> Yeah, weird, very weird, very, very strange place, especially when, like, I think so many of us, because that was what our sophomore year of college, mm-hmm. I think so many of us were coming, like, really coming into our, like, political identities, mm-hmm. right? or, like, maybe not even coming into the identities, but, ha- like, gathering language for, um these identities in our positions and our positionality in the world and like also like uncovering like wild truths um about anti-blackness and about history and about the uc system and all of these things it was just such a like really strange conference to be at um oh the the i really want to remember her name she was um I know she was like a Latinx, um, like activist, and um, she was a speaker. And uh-huh. she she gets to one point in her talk, and she was like, "And you know, we all started in Africa, so we're all." African. Oh yeah, I remember that. Remember that? <laughs> I remember that. What what a conference! <laughs> what a conference! Oh my gosh, I think that lady has a park named after her or something. I'm going to have to remember who it was because that really blew my mind. Um, I'm petitioning for us to get parks named after us then as like just bare minimum life accomplishments because I think we've done enough for a park. Listen, listen, listen. I mean, we're all African, so we should all, you know, be named after a park. I just feel like that was the qualification that she was telling us. Oh, bizarre. Bizarre. <laughs> bizarre at its finest. Um, but I am thankful for those ridiculous college spaces because 
it brought me so close to like people like you, like meeting different people and being able to engage with people. Because I think some of the most important like connections I made in college were just when I was with a random assortment of black people and we all give each other like that look like this is weird right and then the people are like yeah this is weird i'm like okay cool we're friends because you think this is some weird exactly. shit too <laughs> exactly yeah yeah but like we said brought us all here today um we met there we got to connect randomly over the summers in santa cruz i used to have to fly up to oakland when you're living up there to work and we would get dinner because i really felt what you said about like going to a new place like needing community and friends to be around because i was in hotel rooms in oakland for like three straight weeks and i'm like dang i really don't know that many people up here and then we yeah. would just like grab dinner like solely vegan or somewhere in oakland and just chop it up and i'm like dang like i feel like that's when our friendship really got very strong roots because it's like yeah. okay we're hanging out outside of lisa like we're just talking about life and really connecting so definitely value our friendship holistically but definitely value that period of time in our friendship and of course just all the times we got to talk poetry and just like go to open mics i think i got to see you perform in oakland once and so i want to make sure that we transition to talk about you as an artist as a creative and the way i like to start these types of conversations, just letting you have the opportunity to find yourself. So who are you as an artist or as a creator? Because I think everyone has their own definition for what that means for themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the question. Um, it reminds me of the question, um, what do they say? What is the what is the job or the purpose of the poet? I feel like people ask that a lot, especially like I'm getting my MFA now. So I'm talking to a lot of poets and it comes up a lot. Um, and I think that's really wrapped into, you know, when people think about that question individually, I think that's really wrapped into like who we are as poets. And I am just going to say, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just that's gonna, so fair. <laughs> I'm just going to say, you know, I have, I think, that, you know, this last, I mean, you know, since the pandemic, who has not been in transition? Who has not been fighting for their life every single day, you know? Um, and then even before that, but this last year and a half, I would say, has been kind of like, just like an uprooting of my entire life and like, it's been so transitional and I think I am trying to figure out who I am as an artist. What is, um, what am I trying to create? Why am I trying to create those things? I think, not that I think, I came into poetry as a very young person and I was around 12 years old when I started like writing poetry I was writing before that but really writing poetry I was about 12 years old and I and I came into it to write about my depression which I didn't have the language for at the time and I was trying to that you know I, I was just that's the only place I could have those conversations and feel like I was being heard and feel as though I was able to say those things without repercussions, without somebody saying, I'm making it up, without somebody saying, you know, you're being too emotional or you're too sensitive or you're too this or you're too that. I could just come to the page and say 
whatever I needed to be said. And also what poetry allowed me to do was like say it in such a way where if somebody read it, they may or may not know what I'm talking about. Um, just right off the bat, not to say <laughs> the poems were good, but you know, that was, that was what I came to poetry for. And with all of these transitions in my life, I am not using poetry just for that space anymore. Um, I mean, that was happening, you know, well before the pandemic, but I have been working on projects and I have been writing poems and entering different parts of myself and different parts of the craft that are new. So maybe my answer is just like, who I am as an artist is I'm just perpetually a student um, mm. trying to figure it out, um, trying to continue to um, tell the stories that will not leave me alone, <laughs> but also tell <laughs> the stories that I feel deserve a place in the world um, and that are constantly in conversation with other poets who are Black and who are femme and who are queer. I think that, you know, it's really important that our stories be archived and shared and told. Um, and so I think I am, I am a student. I think I am um, somewhat of an archivist archivist you know that one um <laughs> some archives things um see somewhat because I don't even know how to pronounce it um <laughs> you know um I think I am also starting to fall into like a category of like a dreamer um uh... I'm getting more into not just retelling stories, but creating new stories. Mm. And that's something that's new in my work. Um, like I said, I, I came into poetry to document, um, to document emotion, to document experience. And things have kind of taken a turn um, where I'm starting to do craft just completely new stories. Mm. Um, so yeah, maybe that's who I am. Ask me tomorrow and I might even tell you I'm not an artist. So here we are. <laughs> and isn't that such an artist slash writer thing to say like, that's the, and once again, that's why I love poets. That's why I love artists because you ask the artist like, who are you as an artist? And it's like, what even is an artist when you really think about it? <laughs> but I think within your answer that people will get a lot of, what you're aiming to do as an artist, which I think is just as important as whatever labels, definitions we want to put on ourselves as artists. And I think that you touch a lot on like identity and how identities show up in the work that you're doing and the stories that you're hoping to amplify. But I love that you talked about this concept of being a dreamer. And I'm wondering if there's something in the water or something, because I too feel like I've made that transition from like, let me just craft a world out of this motherfucker. Like, let me like really start thinking and daydreaming and researching and really trying to figure out like, what is this utopia I can build out of poetry? And I think that's 
part of what's fueled me wanting to practice doing things like screenwriting because it's like creating this world narratively building out these characters thinking about like what's what type of poem would this character write if they were writing a poem and just yeah I love the concept of being a dreamer because I think that's just so powerful especially just given what we've already talked about with how the world is and how much life you're beating us up like why not give us the power give us the permission give us the space to dream up like what we envision yeah yeah and I definitely encourage you to embark on screenwriting or like oh I already started the script (laughs) yes do it I think um I have so many ideas for like movies and stuff and but the screenwriting format is just so it's a lot (laughs) you know it's like so I have been starting to dabble in prose um and I'm thinking about writing um a novel maybe sort of kind of maybe um and I was talking to my partner and I was she was like write it write it write it and I was like okay you don't understand like you don't just sit down and just write a novel and I'm also like you know the thing about poetry which I feel like which I'll circle back so the thing about poetry is you make your own rules. You just make your own rules. Do you want to use sentences? Do you want to use phrases? Do you want to use words? Do you just want to use like parts of words and not even, you know, I'm like, I haven't written a sentence in years. So now I'm like, <laughs> I got a, a novel idea. And I'm like, well, how do you write dialogue? Like, what is that? What's going on? What's going on? This is weird. This is weird. I have to use punctuation. I hate using punctuation. And um what stresses me about the screenwriting format is that it is so um structured you know Mm -hmm. it's interior this and then it's like setting and then it's dialogue and then it's this but what I do think in terms of like the writing the dialogue part is you know you can write how people speak Mm -hmm. and so that seems like the easier part um in comparison to writing something that's prose um because while you can still write the way that people speak you still have to do all of this other stuff where whereas like you know you could write a conversation between me and you and it's just like you know however we talk and it doesn't have to be so because the thing about screenwriting is you have that other element or you you know intend to have that other element where it's like the story is being told through the dialogue and also mm-hmm. what's on the screen. Whereas when you have a book, it's like, okay, you have to tell everything in writing. Um, so kudos to you for screenwriting. Shout out to us to branching out into other um, mediums and also writing is hard. <laughs> yeah, writing is hard, but man, it is such a good feeling when I feel like you're able to put into words what you were thinking about like when you finish that poem that actually encompasses like oh yeah this is how I'm feeling because how you're feeling I think that's a really burst post when you start to really think about how you're feeling and you're like yeah like these one words is it's not really gonna cut what this sadness feels like today or no I'm much more happy than just saying I'm happy like there's so many different layers to it and yeah like I said I just love talking to artists so much because I just feel like there's so much synergy there when I'm in such an academic space so much where everything's like formulaic everything has a reason behind it nobody wants to ask why nobody wants to debate colors like let's get into the nuance of life I love that (laughs) 
So as someone who writes poetry, I also as someone who has performed poetry, both competitively or just in general, do you have any favorite performances or things that stand out to you in terms of when you're actually sharing your poetry with other people in an audible way? Like favorite performances of mine? Yeah, favorite performances of yours or just like what that experience has been like for you performing your poetry? Yeah, um, it's been phenomenal. Um, I love performing and I, as a child, I wanted to be a performer. Now, Baby Tiana thought she was going to be a singer-songwriter. And, um, you know, <laughs> the thing about it is Tiana cannot sing, okay? Um, that's not, that's not my ministry. And, um, <laughs> You know, I did a I did a little stint in choir in sixth grade, and um, that was a cute time. But it, it's just it's not for me. And um, and then I also learned that songwriting is not just writing the lyrics. I mean, you know, you could be like a lyricist, right? But songwriting is not just writing the lyrics. And I was like, oh, this is also not for me. <laughs> this is not for me at all. Um, and, but I always wanted to perform. And I also wanted to be a dancer when I was younger. I really wanted to do, um, I, I, you know, thought that I was going to be running around with Tommy the Clown, genuinely. <laughs> I, I feel that. I, listen, the way that I played You Got Served until <laughs> like, listen, I genuinely thought that I was just gonna be in these streets crumping. And then I found out about like contemporary dance. So I thought I was gonna be crumping, I was gonna be doing hip hop, and then I was gonna be doing contemporary dance. Now, none of that has happened. <laughs> and I think that um, the, the, the thing that always held true was that I just wanted to be performing in some way, shape, yeah. or form. And, um, it wasn't until I got into college that I was afforded an opportunity to perform. And that's when I was like, oh, I really like this thing. And I want to continue doing this thing. And so my first time performing, well, the first time I wrote a performance poetry piece uh, was for this theater troupe that I had gotten into and um there were like different shows within the theater troupe and mine was a show where we like completely build the script ourselves and we take it to schools in the bay and then we also came down here to LA and like we did our show for high school students and then we talked about higher education um and the first time I wrote a piece for that script and performed it in front of just in front of, um, you know, everybody else on the cast, not even an audience. I literally started laughing and crying at the same time. And I'm just like, and my poem was about bullying and self-harm. 
and I'm literally laughing. And then I start sobbing. But I'm still reading this poem. And the directors are like, girl, (laughs) you have a lot of work to do. Um, And it was so, it was, it was ridiculous. Um, But once I was able to, you know, kind of build my skills and like get a little more comfortable and perform I was like I have never felt anything like this just like mm-hmm. being on the stage and feeling so just connected to my body in a different way and really shocked at like being able to perform in these ways and I I found my old computer and me and my partner were going through it because she's um she's in tech and she was helping me like get some things off my computer or whatever and she had found some of my old slam videos and I was cringing oh my god oh my god you know like they talk about levels in your voice right I started every poem out of 10 every single poem (laughs) you know you don't have anywhere to go from 10 that is the cap. That is the cap. Oh, it's so embarrassing. I was just screaming. Um, but I think for that time in my life, that was really important because I think I just needed to scream. I think yeah. I just actually really needed somewhere to um, go and and yell and scream and be mad and, and rid my body of all that angst and rage and all of these things. And I had nowhere else to do it. Um, and I think now I come to performing with very different intentions. I think I I come to performing now not as like I need this release, but more so as, um, you know, this is my artistic expression, and and I am now trying to challenge myself to perform in ways that I haven't before, and to. Mm-hmm do things with my voice and body that I have been imagining in my head for years, but have been too scared to try. And I think now that I have made room in my body and I have released all that other stuff, I have more room for like experimentation. Um, And then to also like bring other things in, to bring dance in, to bring um, collaboration in with like music artists and like things like that. So I, I'm very excited for the future of performing. And I think SLAM has really shaped my my experience with performing and it has given me so much. And and I think it has allowed me to like now project myself somewhere else and kind of move away from SLAM because even though SLAM is very dynamic and you can do so many different things on that stage in three minutes you I've seen so many different performances and they're all so beautiful and well let me not say all but so many are beautiful and so many are are just so unexpected and it's amazing what you can do in three minutes um with your voice body and a microphone like just nothing else um I, I want less restriction now and I want to have a stage where I'm not being scored and I am able to like if I take away the judges what would I do you know what is it that I really want to do on this stage if I'm not competing so I think that's where I'm I'm leaning towards now in performance 
No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, you talking about Slam brought up a couple of memories and things for me. One, when it comes to what would I do if there weren't judges here, I think that's really powerful and impactful because I've only done Slam poetry one time. It was like a it was the San Diego Poetry Slam team versus anybody. So people could form teams and go up against the San Diego Poetry Slam team. And the team that I was on, uh, we were practicing like right before the show. And me and my friend Ronnie, we have th- we had this poem. It was our Donald Trump poem. Doesn't every poet have a Donald Trump poem from this era? Um, but we were rehearsing it, and there's a point in the poem where he names some of the black people that we've lost to police brutality. And one of the people on the slam team who's like a vet in the community and very, very well respected, we we're saying our lines, and then he was like criticizing how we were saying it. It's like, oh, like when you say these names, like you better mean something. And I'm like, how do you know what what this means for me or like how I am taking in this? And I think that when we really look at performance as a very self-centered thing and what we want to achieve out of those performances, I think it unlocks a lot for us as poets. Um, Then the other thing, and this is more of a very facetious thing and like, I don't know what got into this white girl that went to this poetry slam tea, but I was at this poetry slam one, it was the first poetry slam I've ever been to where not a single Black person was competing. It was mostly white people, which was concerning. Um, and one of said white people, she goes up there and she does this poem and she's doing it. And it's like, okay, this, like, this is a good, impactful poem, but like the people in the audience are eating it up. But she got to this one part of the piece where she's like, oh, why you don't want me, man? Like, I'm gonna marry me a nice girl without him. I'm gonna be this, like, I was like, this is Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. She reenacted the last scene of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when his dad leaves in that episode. And because this was a predominantly white audience, the audience was eating it up. But me and this other dude that was at the open mic was like, this is is Fresh Prince. I know she didn't just steal Fresh Prince of Bel-Air lines for this slam piece. They be stealing. They be stealing. I mean, they have a long history of stealing. Yeah, send the DNA. Yeah, listen, that's so ridiculous. And also knowing your audience and knowing that your audience would probably not know that. Um, Also hearing this story is really funny because I guess I never really thought about it, but it didn't occur to me that white people didn't watch Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I kind of thought everybody watched it. That's a, that's a, that's for another day. Because how do you not watch Fresh Prince of Bel Air? I'm kind of it's. I know that there's like a lot of you know black sitcoms where it's like, oh, I know white people didn't watch this, but yeah. kind of just if you would have asked me, I kind of would have been like, everybody watches Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And today I learned that that's not true. <laughs> hey, you learn something new every day. Uh, but before we exit Poetry Corner. I just wanted to have one more poetry related question for now. Some shit might come up in five seconds, but um, you've been blessed to have some of your pieces featured in different magazines and uh, showcased in different ways. What has it meant for you to have your work affirmed in that way to where somebody's featuring it or somebody's publishing it for you? Um, it means a few different things and it's kind of challenging. Um, I think one thing it has met is money sometimes and not a great deal because listen, uh, poets do not be getting paid. <laughs> uh, they no, do not, <laughs> they do not pay a lot for poetry, but 
um, I have gotten paid from some publications and things like that. And that has been very exciting for me to put my work into the world and to get paid. Um, while it's not a new thing for me, it is always exciting to get paid for my work because the opportunities are few and fewer, it seems like for me at least, since the pandemic has happened. Mm -hmm. Because when I was living in Oakland, I was performing a lot and a lot of the performances were paid and I was featuring a lot and now I'm in a new city and I am not as connected to as many artists or as, as many artists who are working in venues and things like that. And so, it's just, it's very nice to get paid to have my work out there. Um, and it's also weird, right? It's, it's, it's the equivalent of, not necessarily the equivalent because, you know, an artist, a music artist can go and upload their own songs to Spotify and all of the things, right? Um, but it's kind of like putting out a single and you're building an audience, right? So I would like to release books into the world. And some- We would like you to also. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, some advice that I had got because I, I think I published my first piece in 2018 or 2019 maybe. Um, and I don't have a lot of my work published online. And I was talking to a poet who reached out to me and was like, if you have any questions, if you need anything, like, let me know. And I reached out to him and I was like, well, what are your, you know, your thoughts on publishing? Because it's, it's kind of elitist, kind of not, depending mm -hmm. on the publication, depending on the organization who's soliciting and all of the things, right? And it's it's like a game. And I was asking what their thoughts were on it because it's it's hard. It's hard. And I at first had no idea what I was doing. Um and he was just telling me like think of it as like building your audience, you know, if you want to put a book out, you put these poems out so people will learn who you are, mm. they'll like your work, they'll follow your work. And then once you put a book out, you already have people who are going to buy the book, right? And so a lot of it has meant, um, has, has just been strategy kind of, and that's kind of weird to say, um, but it's, it, it's this building, it's this building of an audience, building of a name, um, and then so money, building an audience. Um, and it's always been about sharing my work with people. I, again, come from SLAM and I have, what my biggest takeaway from SLAM is that I work so much better. I write so much better. Um, I, I, everything is so much better when I have people, like I have people to share my work with, to read with, to workshop with, to do all that with, and to, you know, come, come away with a finished piece that I'm so excited about and wanting to share that with people. It's always been about sharing my work and um, 
so yeah, those three things. And it's complicated um, because, you know, the literary industry is an industry, just like every other industry, yeah. you know? And it's really um, challenging to navigate sometimes. And, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not always sacrificing my morals, right? I think mm. as we live under capitalism, sometimes you just have to. Um, I want to make sure I'm not always sacrificing. And while for some people, publishing is not that deep, I know that this is a very, like, exclusionary um, practice. And I know that there are a lot of people who should be published that aren't. And I know that, like, you know, um, I got a poem in, in Poetry Magazine, which is amazing. And Poetry Magazine is the magazine, right? Mm -hmm. um, and to be fair, it really helped that last year I was a finalist for um, the Ruth Lilly Fellowship, which is a really, really prestigious fellowship. But now, when I applied last year, I was like, yeah, your girl not getting it. You know, this is my, <laughs> I think my second, it was my second time applying for it. And I was like, I'm not getting it. I'm just applying because why not? You know, why yeah. not? Apply? And, um, and when I learned that I was a finalist, my mind was blown because I had also forgot that I applied for it. You know, you apply in April. I think they tell you about it in like the end of August. You're not thinking about that anymore. And, um, and I was a finalist and I ended, I didn't end up getting it, but that is what allowed me to publish two poetry. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, and that's not to say I didn't deserve the, right. the fellowship. Right. Like I said, I haven't published a lot. Um, I wasn't in an MFA program at the time. I didn't have like a lot of connections. I don't know. I didn't know anybody who was, you know, you're not supposed to know anybody who's reviewing the application, but I didn't know anybody. And so, but it was because of that, that I was able to be published on poetry. When I know people who have been sending their poems into poetry for years and haven't gotten right and deserve it. And so it's a tricky game. It's a tricky game. Um, and I think it's really important if you are going down the road of publishing, you are asking yourself why and what do you want from it? And, you know, it's also a hard game too, because it's like, you have to go through so many no's to get a yes, right? Mm -hmm. It's a probability game. And so that, that's a whole nother podcast in itself. Um, but, but that's a little nutshell of my thoughts around publishing and my experience with it. All I heard was that you're about to be a return guest to the podcast is what I took away from that last <laughs> bit. <laughs> I would love to. I would love to. Hey, you're always welcome on the banquet hall. But let's go ahead and get out of Poetry Corner for a bit and give people kind of like a sneak peek into other parts of your life. We don't have to go as far in depth, but just so people get to know more about you holistically, because I think one of the coolest things that I get out of this podcast is touching on like the main point, like maybe someone's a rapper, I invite them on the podcast, but I want to hear like, what are the things that also like get you excited, things that you're interested in other things that you're doing? Because one that also shows up in the work you do, your other interests outside yeah. of poetry, but also it's just cool to get to know different things that make up you as a holistic person. So I'm going to go through a few of these and then we'll get to the tail end of the podcast. 
Uh, first things first, I uh, want to talk about doula services. As I was browsing through uh, tianabrasher.com, what a great website. Um, <laughs> I saw that one of the things that you provide are like doula services. So one, I wanted you to just give us a few words on what is a doula, because I think some of our listeners might not be familiar with what doulas or what doulas are, what services doulas provide, but also why it is important for you to provide doula services. Yeah, absolutely. So a doula, specifically a birth doula, is um, somebody who supports birthing people throughout their pregnancy or postpartum or even, you know, prenatal. Um, but it is typically like somebody is pregnant and they reach out to a doula. The doula is there to, um, you know, help answer any questions, help prepare um, not only the birthing person, but, you know, whoever will be involved with the birth and, you know, who whoever the birthing team is, right? Which is typically, you know, ideally it would be the birthing person and, you know, the other parent or parents, um, any of their parents or, you know, any siblings who are, or any best friends who want to help support the baby coming into the world. Um, and so that support can look like, you know, yeah, just answering questions um, about health and safety practices, like what to do, what not to do while you're pregnant, um, what to expect, help creating a birth plan. Um, postpartum care could look like, you know, coming over there and um, doing some meal prep um, or, you know, possibly helping around, helping out around the house. Um, it just depends. Each doula is a little different. Um, and then each birthing person is different. Um, and then more often than not, it also is, um, it also includes being present for the birth. Um, and to make sure that the birthing person is safe and respected in their decisions um, while they are in active labor. And so making sure that, you know, if I was a doula for, you know, say Brittany, that's the first thing that came to my head. Brittany's in active labor and we're in the room and the doctors are asking her all these questions. And I'm like, look, doc, she can't answer all these questions because she's literally trying to bring a baby into the world. I have spoken with her. I know she wants this thing. I know she wants that thing. Or like, I actually don't like the way that you're speaking to her. We need to like, you know, make this environment as soothing and as relaxing as possible. And just making sure that, um, that the birthing person and the baby are always being prioritized. Um, and I believe you asked what's why someone should have a doula. Or why is it important for you to provide those services? Oh, why is this important to you? Yes. Well, funny enough, I'm actually not providing those services right now. Um, thank you for pointing that out. I have to update my website. Um, but when I was on my journey to being a doula, it felt very important to me because similarly when I like how I was talking about earlier about stories and in black um queer folks like deserving their stories being told I think it's really important that black queer and trans folks are supported during um pregnancy and birth and also black folks at large um because the way that we the way that we deal with birth in this country is so 
like in opposition to how our bodies actually want to navigate work, right? And like, I, I always tell people like laying on your back is actively working against gravity. Like, why would you try to push something into the world? Um, and not to get too graphic, but I mean like, when you go to the bathroom, you're not laying on your back, right? You're sitting, you're squatting, yeah. um, which is a very like, normal natural way to like actually push something or someone from your body right and so I think it's really important um it was really important for me to provide dual services because I really want black folks black queer and trans folks to know all of their options and then to also be supported in the room because so many people die during childbirth so many things go wrong during childbirth there's so many complications that could be avoided like so many of these things could be avoided and oftentimes it's because of like the medical interference right and everything is really trying to make it easier for the doctor and the like the nursing staff and everybody who's in the hospital where it's like I would really like to make the birthing person a priority here and if they want to give birth while squatting or laying on their stomach or you know however they want to give birth because that's what feels more comfortable to them then that's what I want to do um and I don't know why I said laying on your stomach because it's really probably not happening um but <laughs> I don't know anybody hey. who's doing um but yeah, that, that was, that was a driving factor for me in pursuing that. And while I'm not pursuing it right now, I do um, want to return to it in the future um, when I am in a better position to do so, because I still believe that we deserve to have safe births and um, and also that we deserve options. You know, there are so many different ways to go about birthing um and also every single body is different everybody's pain is different everybody's comfortability is different everybody's baby is different and um you know I think we need to honor that and really you know having a doula is is having somebody come in and honor like hey I see you as a person with choice and I see you as a person who has like specific needs and specific desires. And I'm going to do my best in order to meet all of those things. So you can deliver this baby as comfortably and safely, as safely as you know, your body will allow you to. I really appreciate, I mean, I, I've said this like seven times this podcast, but I appreciate the depth in how you explain that because even if you're not actively performing the doula services, I do think it is a service to even explain what a doula is bring awareness to that because I know that there are people who this might be the first time hearing about doulas and I know doulas is something that I was introduced to probably like my last year of college or right after my last year because one of my friends is also uh, preparing to become a doula so I think the more that we are able to raise awareness about the need uh, some of the issues that uh, marginalized folks face when it comes to birthing and like you said all the different bodies all the different folks that are part of this process so no thank you for that explanation and yeah just thank you for servicing people in that way I think that's very important um so, so in your bio on your website the last sentence says Tiana's a big sister and aspiring movie critic 
who is infatuated with vampire media, the lives of trees, and collage making. And honestly, I love that sentence to end your bio. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure that I hit each one of those points. We talked about family a little bit earlier. Uh, but what about being a movie critic interests you? Oh, man. Um, I love movies. I always have. And it could be... It could be a bad movie. It could be a good movie. Um, and I will just want to sit through it for the story. And I think mm -hmm. that the, the storytelling through the visual is something that I'm so intrigued by. And um, I also like to kind of try to figure the movie out before the movie gets to figuring itself out and it just feels like a puzzle to me sometimes and and I think some of my some of my favorite movies um are movies that I didn't figure out before it got mm. started, you know and I'm like oh you got me you know um <laughs> so I I you know I used to say I wanted to be a movie critic as a joke um, and then I'm kind of like, oh, no, maybe I'm serious because I really like to also analyze film. And um, I I really like to kind of dissect, dissect it and like, you know, this worked and this didn't. And I wish they would have did this and, and all of the things. And I just am so infatuated by the way that movies are made. Um, and mm -hmm. and I'm, now I'm thinking often about like the decisions. I'm like, well, why mm -hmm. did they choose to shoot it from here instead of over here? And why did they, you know, choose to use this setting and all of these things? Because, you know, everything, well, maybe not everything is intentional, but everything, when you put it on the screen plays a part of the story. Um, and it's just, it's really fascinating. And I just, I really, really like to dive deep into analyzing them. And I'm like, oh, Beautiful movie critic. Um, even if it's just like, you know, for me and my friends <laughs> instead of hey. like, something like that. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And I can spend a whole day literally doing a, you know, running the movies back to back to back to back to back. I just I love it. I love it. They were gonna be friends. Not that we weren't already, <laughs> but um just because same like lately just the way I'm watching movies I'm always like oh why'd they do this or what does this say about this character or like oh why is the camera focus here um so listeners leave it in the comments hit us up if you want Tiana and I to have a movie critic corner on the podcast because I think that'll be dope we just me you Lisa like get together on a podcast every now and then and just critique a movie like I think we could we can run some numbers with that absolutely very <laughs> cute yeah, because I'm I'm just such a proponent of things that we're passionate about becoming, aspiring to be, make it happen or whatever capacity you did. Like whether you're at every red carpet premiere being a movie critic or if it's just like you said, you and the homies just critiquing movies. I think it's so fun and there's so much to that. So yeah, when I read that in your bio, I was like, huh, that's something I didn't know about you. And I'm so excited because I feel like there's synergy there. And yeah, whether it's screenplays, cinematography, it's just all so wonderful to me. I'm excited. Next up, vampire media. Just, <laughs> I think that's the question. Just, where did that start? Um, I'm pretty sure it started with Twilight. Um, team Edward or Team Jacob? Neither. They're both terrible monsters. <laughs> neither. Neither. Um, and I'm not Team Bella either. I actually hate 
just about every ask. In, <laughs> I hate just about every character in that story, but um, it's so nostalgic for me because Twilight was those were the first like 400 page books I've ever read um I didn't read Harry Potter I skipped that and so like these were the longest books I had ever read at that time in my life and my mom and I read them together and then the movies came out and I think I don't know if we saw all of them together but we definitely saw the first two together and um it was something that we had like really bonded over and we had read some other books and stories together too my mom is really into fantasy um and uh so a lot of the reading was like vampires or like you know some kind of like immortal being fantastical being whatever whatever um and so that's where it started and somewhere down the line um I think I watched it was True Blood I watched True Blood I didn't watch the whole oh maybe I did I don't know I watched True Blood I think in high school and then I watched Vampire Diaries in probably like 2018 2019 and then I watched true blood again and then I just started to watch all of them and um and then I just had developed an obsession and the obsession is so deep now it's made it into my writing and it's it it has more to do with like I'm really interested in the idea of a vampire this this being that is has once been human and is no longer human and so understands humanity, understands human practice, understands human ways, right? Like, it's not like some like alien character who's like, I'm trying to adapt. It's like, mm -hmm. you know what it means to be human um, mm -hmm. and you are completely something else now. And um, not only are you something else, but you also have like all of these, like what someone might identify as powers, right? Like, super hearing super fast some can fly some can't but like you know they can compel people all of these things and what really stresses me out about vampire media is that they're all almost revolving around romance and I'm like this is so fascinating because the the opportunities or like the possibilities of a vampire are kind of endless and we're always landing on romance and not only are we always landing on romance but like in like very popular tv shows and movies and media and stuff like that it's usually a 200 year old man vampire who falls in love with a 17 year old <laughs> high school student and i'm like we really have to move on from this yeah. We really have to find somebody your age or like, please get somebody in their thirties, you know, like please. <laughs> I'm just, you're, you're 200, babe. And you can't, you can't, you are, you're 200 years old. What do you find interesting about a 17 year old? What is, what, like you lived, you lived in a time, like, I'm just like, 
you've seen the world change so much. Mm -hmm. You've gone from having no phone to now having an iPhone. You've gone from having to go get buckets of water to turning on the faucet. Like, I'm just like, what I'm like, what could really interest you in a 17 year old who only cares about, you know, graduating high school and like trying to get into the best college. Like, I'm like, mm -hmm. you'll have so much knowledge about the world. Like, what could y'all really, really talk about? You know what I mean? And not to say, that not part. to dismiss 17 year olds as if they are not smart because kids are smart, okay? But it's just like, Tiana at 28 doesn't want to sit and talk to a 17 year old all day. I don't, I don't, because uh, we, don't, we don't have the same interests. We don't have the same interests. We don't have the same relationship to the world. And so it's just like, I'm really interested in the possibilities of a vampire and like what that could be and what it's not. Um, and I really, really, really want stories that are of vampires that are not about romance, but I'm like, what if a vampire, what if there were black vampires, right? Mm. Do you know what would be accomplished? <laughs> like, you know, Talk about it. <laughs> I'm, just like, I'm just like, yeah, it just feels like people use vampire stories and vampire lore to kind of like play out like these really grotesque fantasies and ideas of like what we, what is frowned upon and what is unacceptable to do as a human. But if you're a monster, you get a pass, right? Like pedophilia. And it's just like, I, I really don't want to give it a pass to anybody. Right. <laughs> like, I really don't, I really don't want to watch vampires falling in love with 17 year olds anymore or like ever, but like y'all have done that let's move on to something yeah. else um and like really explore what this identity like all that it can do and I think that it's I think I'm also interested in things that are like really polarized as like this is only good or this is only evil and I think that that argument could be made for vampires as like it's they're only evil so of course they're going to be pedophilic or they're going to be you know, rapist, or they're going to be this. And I'm like, and what if they weren't? What would, what else could they be? And how can we muddy this binary of good and bad? Like, why do they only have to be bad? And why do they also only have to be bad in this way and evil in this way? And what other evils could exist that are like, I don't know, I think about just like, you know, for instance, like Israel and Palestine right now is just like, there are so many people who are like, what Palestine is doing is terrible, terrible, terrible. If you are Israeli, you're like, that's evil. But if you're not, and you belong to a group of oppressed people, you know that Palestine and Palestinians, like that evil is actually good that evil is actually what is, you know, sustaining us. And so how can we like muddy this like good and evil narrative in a way that like will allow us to tell other stories and like what else, like what could we destroy if we had vampires from different positionality and if we were able to see the good and what somebody sees as evil. I could tell that you're really 
in love with the vampire media thing though because <laughs> i feel like that like i saw the light flicker when like you really started getting in your bag i'm like oh you you've thought about this like that's definitely obvious um couple more things from the bio we talked about trees a little bit but if you can give us just kind of like what tiana thinks the world needs to learn from trees that's the question i want to ask you i know that's a very loaded question and we could probably talk about that for three hours but what do you think that people need to learn from trees or something you've learned from trees that you want to share with people um trees are so communal um in such beautiful beautiful ways the way that trees communicate with each other is fascinating and I think we could really, I think a lot of organizers and um, a lot of educators, I think do learn from trees. And I think what, and I think we can continue to learn from them by replicating the ways that they take care of each other. Mm, um, you know, I love that. If a tree is, is thick or has some kind of like infestation, it will send messages via the roots to other trees. Um, and those trees will send nutrients to that tree. Um, and they just like, the way that they take care of each other and, and, and communicate is so, it's so beautiful and trees are our hubs their homes um or like a tree is a living thing and then so many things live in trees right so many insects so many animals and i'm just like yeah like it how can we um you know how can we be hubs and how can we use all, all the resources that we have to you know, support our loved ones in our community and our, our, our friends and the people neighboring us, right? Um, how can, I, you know, like, I think about this often um, because somebody once, I had a friend who once was going on vacation for like the whole summer and she hits this group chat with me and a few other friends in it, and she was like, hey, I'm going away for a few months. Um, I know that a car is a resource do y'all without a car want to borrow my car for the summer? That's love. And it, it's so much love, right? So much love. And it was like, that was such an important framing for me because then I got to use the car and that was fantastic for me because I didn't have a car and and after that did not have a car when she came back. But it was, yeah, that was fantastic for me. And But it, the framing of it was like, this is a resource. Like, this is a thing that I own, but it's a resource, right? Um, you know, my, I have in unit washer and dryer. Like, that is a resource. Or like, I tell my partner, like, if you want to just come over here and do your laundry, you can, you know? Um, thinking about what we have to offer other people, even if it's seemingly so small, and even if it's something that like we own or like feel is intrinsically ours, it's like, how can we help or how can we use that to help somebody else? Um, and yeah, I, that trees do that all the time, all year, even when, even when trees are dead. And that's not to say like, when you're dead, you're dead. Don't be out here like, I mean, 
I mean, people use their bodies for science or whatever. So like, yeah. you know, maybe flaws. but like when you're dead, you're dead. You don't really have to offer your body up, you know, <laughs> like, but even when trees die, they still house, they still feed the land. You know what I mean? I'm like, like, is that even really being dead? And, and I think mm. that is such a, like, they're just so brilliant and there's no words for how brilliant they are. They just, just exist like to just give and like also to flourish trees that have been around for like 400, 500 years that are just fucking huge and just are like, I'm just here growing still. <laughs> you know my leaves fall off and then they come back and people still live in me and then they don't and then you know and it's just like I'm still sending nutrients to other trees it's just like it's fucking brilliant and I think we can just I think we can learn so many communal practices from the ways that trees are in relationship to one another listeners if you're hearing this go hug a tree like that that's just what (laughs) I want to do right now I just want to go hug a tree right now um Tiana it's been great just chatting with you catching up and seeing you light up about the things that you're passionate about that I feel like we don't always get the opportunity to talk about like I I meant it when I said you're probably going to be a return guest on the podcast because there's a bunch of questions that just in the last five minutes have come up that like that I just want to hear you talk about this for another like 45 minutes to an hour but we are on a Monday evening I want to make sure that respectful of both of our evenings and time so I want to transition a bit to start wrapping up with a a few quick hitter questions, uh, things that I feel will help us round this full conversation out. Uh, First and foremost, who are some people who inspire you or influence you? You could just name one or two of your inspirations or influences um, just to help us get an idea of who are some of the people that you, yeah, look to. Absolutely. Um, Some people that inspire me. Um... I would say Courtney Faye Taylor. Um, She's the author of Concentrate. I read that book at the top of the year. Changed my life. Changed my relationship to art. Um, So definitely Courtney Faye Taylor. And uh, to name another one who I'm I'm thinking of people who are inspiring me right now. Mm -hmm. um, Because, you know, the list is is long and long and long. Um, I would say somebody else who is inspiring me currently is a poet and essayist, I believe, Justin Philip Reed, um, who is the author of The Malevolent Volume and Indecency. Um, Justin is very smart, is <laughs> very, very smart and talks about like monsters and things um, and um, they're grotesque and as it relates to blackness and has some really incredible insight. And so, yeah, those two. And then where can people find you slash your work or support you and your work? How can people reach out to you? Absolutely. So my website is back up and live. You can find my website at tianabratcher.com. Um, that's T-I-A-N-N-A-B-R-A-T-C-H-E-R.com. Um, and then my Instagram and my Twitter is T-Vampy. That's T-V-A-M-P-Y-Y. Is that related to vampire media? It is. It is. Actually. I don't think I ever really thought about why your handle was that until I saw the vampire <laughs> media thing. I was like, ah, makes sense. Yeah, um, <laughs> where do I want to go next? 
let's go with what are some takeaways from this episode? One, what do you hope our listeners are taking away from this episode? And then two, what are you taking away from our conversation today? Um, I hope our listeners take away the, you know, importance of I, it's funny because I've said community a lot on this podcast, but I don't actually like the word community um, mm. or like I don't like the way that it's often used. Um, but for the sake of time, I would say, um, yeah, having, I think I want them to take away the importance of building and connecting and sustaining a community of folks and like that being intentional. Um, not just like, oh, you have a shared identity with somebody who you've never met before, so y'all are in community. I mean, people that you're actually like checking in on, making sure they be in, making sure they're enjoying themselves, you know, going out into the sun with, um, you know, making sure that they got what they need and who's checking on you and things like that. Like an active, active, active group of people that you can like flourish with, I think is so important. And I hope that, the listeners take that away and, you know, continue to pour into the people that they pour into and who pours into them. Um, and something that I am taking away today is, you know, how great you are, um, which I feel like is something that I take away from <laughs> sessions often, but um, you are like, First of all, this whole podcast, even beyond this episode, but the whole podcast at large is such a beautiful idea. And um, you are, I think when we talk about, right, pouring into those people who pour into us and in building community, I think that, you know, this is a part of that, right? Like you saying, I want to see the people that I know and I want to hear what they have to say in like, you know, coming with these questions and the intention behind them where like you're bringing in seemingly like a simple question of like, where are you from? It's like seemingly very simple, but the way that you have set up the space and allowed me to talk about that is, has provided me um, with even more clarity about my experience, mm -hmm. right? has given me a space to like share deeply about that and that's really beautiful and so I really appreciate that and that is going to be my takeaway for today well I receive and appreciate and and yeah just thank you for the validation and affirmation uh thank you for your time as well I think it's very easy to ask intentional questions and to give people that space when like your energy makes it easy. Like I said this before we started recording, but I was very much looking forward, one, just to see you, like I haven't seen you in a few months, two, just yeah. to like hear you. And I think your energy translates well via Zoom. So just nice to have those intentional conversations because we live in a time where everything's a three second TikTok video and you don't really get to sit and really have these deep conversations. And honestly, if it wasn't evening and I didn't have things I'm doing like we could have talked for another hour and a half about just all these different things uh, but it definitely was a pleasure to have this conversation looking forward to future conversations um, listeners I always say this at the end of episodes and I always mean it y'all got five-star content I need the five-star rating on the back end Tiana gave y'all all types of gems all types of stories and this is only the beginning 
Uh, make sure y'all follow the podcast at Banquet Hall Pod. Uh, leave us those reviews. Leave those comments. Hug those trees. Check out the Vampire Media. And Tiana will be back on the Banquet Hall. We don't know when yet, but we will be back with Tiana because uh, there's just so much more to you as a person that you can't really fit into a two-hour podcast. But I tried my best, and I think we got a lot out of that. Um, so just thanking you once again for your time, for your intentionality. Uh, looking forward to the book and whenever that comes out. And yeah, just thank you for being UT. I really appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you too. Oh, what a wholesome way to close out a podcast. <laughs> <laughs>